Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights diverse trendsetters and change agents who are the greatest contemporary thinkers and doers, devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology expert, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in optimal lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining us on today's show where you will learn lessons in transformation, mindful, positive leadership. My first guest is John Perkins. He is an author and activist. As chief economist at a major consulting firm, he advised the World Bank, United Nations, Fortune 500 corporations, U.S. and other governments. He regularly speaks at universities, economic forums, and shamanic gatherings around the world and is a founder and board member of the nonprofit organizations, is a Pachamama Alliance and Dream Change. And it's my pleasure to have you in the house, John Perkins. Thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure to be with you, Lisa. Let's talk about fear. No matter how big or small our organizations are, or how big or small our bank accounts are at this moment, the world is filled with uncertainty, and there is a lot of fear about the change that is demanded of us right now. Yeah, you know, my latest book that that is that comes that you can actually pre-order now, but comes out June fifteenth, sixteenth, is "Touching the Jaguar: Transforming Fear into Action to Change Your Life in the World." And it's very interesting to me that, of course, when I wrote the book, I had no idea that we'd be hit by this pandemic. But in a way, the the book is it addresses it. It's it's perfect for it because it, it addresses exactly what you're saying here, the fear and how do we deal with fear? How do we transform fear into actions that change our lives and the world? That's what I go into in the book. And there is a way to do it. I mean, I have a, a visual metaphor that I use of sort of dancing with fear. You know that when we can finesse it and lean into it and make it move with us, we seem to do better. Well, exactly. And the idea of touching the jaguar comes from the indigenous people in the Amazon I, I lived with as a Peace Corps volunteer back from 1968 to 71. And, and I still spend a lot of time with them. I take groups there every year. I spend a lot of time I have ever since then. And they say that on a vision quest, which they often do, or a shamanic journey, vision quest, whatever you want to call it, when you see a jaguar, I uh, it represents something that you fear. And if you run from that fear, it'll chase you. But if you go out and touch the, the jaguar, if you confront the fear, if you face the fear, it empowers you to take actions that then move you forward to where you really need to go. And it's a beautiful concept, and it's, it's very powerful, and it works. It is a beautiful concept, and one that I believe all of us will have to reckon with who want to move beyond that fear of uncertainty that has, has gripped the world for the first time in in history, right? The whole world is going through something that is 
an opportunity for growth, transformation, and transcendence. I like to believe this will be the great reset instead of the great recession, you know, or depression. I have no doubt about that. A number of years ago, on one of these trips, and, and I was actually not in the Amazon, but before we go in the Amazon, sometimes we work with a shaman woman up in the high Andes, a Quechua woman in, in Ecuador. Her name, she has a wonderful name, Maria Juana. Oh, <laughs> that is a wonderful name. <laughs> exactly. Her last name is Jan Berla. And she, what's, one of the people in the group, and I'm always translating, so I'm right in the middle of it, asked, so how do we save the earth? And Maria Wada laughed and she said, well, you know, the earth, Pachamama's not in danger, but we are uh, as a species. We're creating a lot of harm for many, many other species. And she, but to her, to Mother Earth, to Pachamama, we're just like so many fleas. And if we get to be too much of a nuisance, she'll just <laughs> shake us all off. And then Maria Wada pointed up at this big volcano that hovers over her home. And she said, 20 years ago, that volcano was covered by a, a massive ice cap. It's not there anymore. It's gone. Mother Earth, Pachamama, is twitching. She's sending us a message. And we live at a blessed time when we can listen to that message and do something. And you know, Lisa, I've been struck by how, how many of these messages we've been getting in the last years, so many once-in-100-year events that happen regularly every year now, hurricanes, fires, earthquakes, tornadoes. And we haven't listened. We've, we've, we've seen them as local. So that if you happen to live in a place where you're hit with one of these events, a hurricane, let's say, and you survive it, you expect that within a few days or maybe it's going to take a couple of weeks, but at some point fairly soon, the outside world is going to reach out to help you. Bottled water will arrive, food, and then a leader will come along and say, hey, we're going to rebuild. We're going to be better than ever. Well, that's not listening to the real message. And so this coronavirus now comes along. And if you're from a shamanic standpoint, you'd say it's a big twitch. It's the latest big. That's what Maria Wada would say. I'm sure <laughs> big it's a twitch. really big twitch. Yeah. Yeah, it's the it is the Uber twitch. It's the Uber wake up call for the world. And when you look at um, the silver lining in an event like this, and it is very hard to do so when we are in the midst of it and people are dying and resources to help people sustain life are challenging. But when you look at saving the planet and what what is going on globally with with the climate and and the reduction in pollution. And you see photographs of cities that are normally thickened with soot in the air to have clear skies. You go, well, wait a second here. Something there's something else here in this. Yeah. If if, if anybody ever questioned the impact that human activities are having on our climate and, and things like seeing clear skies, this virus has, has clearly shown us. That, that those people were wrong, that there's no question, you know, yeah, uh, you, we've all probably seen the satellite images of China and how pollution's cleared up there in Los Angeles and in so many places around the world. There's no question that we've been, we've been shown something in the last few weeks, couple of months that make it undeniable that we are overtaxing our planet. And the uh, going back to the silver lining or the transcendence of the challenge is we have the ability to be more connected than ever and reduce our footprint at the same time because we can't go anywhere. 
people are actually connecting. They're connecting online and variety of these uh, virtual platforms. They're meeting, they're having parties, they're having business meetings, they're having annual board meetings. Yeah. I just had a board meeting at Pachamama Alliance uh, board a couple of days ago. Uh, there were 13 of us, and then we were joined by some by over 200 of our major supporters of, around the planet. You know, we had we have board meetings every every three months, uh, but nothing we never went like this. We usually all congregate in the San Francisco Bay Area. I have to fly there. Other people drive or fly, and we haven't connected with all these supporters. We learned something. We were, we were all coming from our homes. I don't think we'll ever have a board meeting like that again. Who, who knows? But yes, we've learned something amazing in this process. And the other thing is that, you know, unlike the hurricanes that are local and the other such events, this one is totally global. Every single human being on this planet is impacted by this. Um, I've even, you know, I've talked to friends as people in the Amazon, we can talk by shortwave radio or sometimes by a satellite computer. And uh, they're, they're impacted. They're isolating. They're not letting any flights come in or out or canoes or, or outsiders. They're, they're taking care of themselves. They're, they're impacted. We're all impacted. And that makes sense because because they have been remote in the past that if, if they let somebody in or they venture out, they place themselves at greater risk because not only do they not have the immunity to the regular things that people carry, this would even be much more deadly more quickly would be my my guess. Absolutely. Very, yes. very, very vulnerable. Yeah. And, you know, what this is really showing us is I, I talk in the, the book Touching the Jaguars, I have in a couple of previous books a little bit extensively in this book about how we've really created a failed governmental social economic system that economists call a death economy. It's an economic system that's ravaging its own resources. It's destroying the very resources upon which it depends. And it, it, it's, the, it's the real cause of everything. You know, the, 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 the climate change, species extinctions, uh, income inequality, even terrorism, these are all symptoms of this failed economic system that's, that, that, that has a goal for businesses of maximizing short-term profits regardless of the environmental and social costs, and a goal for m most individuals of maximizing short-term uh, consumerism <laughs> yeah. regardless, regardless of all the other costs. And it's, it's failed us. It's not working, and we're, we're being shown that very clearly now. We are going to need to pr take a break in a minute. I want to just ask you one more thing before we do go to the break, um, and that is about – the supply chain, and we can get more into this when we come back, but the upside or the, again, going back to the silver lining of what's going on in the world is how do we move goods to people in an era where our, our safety is threatened by human contact? It's an excellent question, Lisa, and we're learning something here again. I think we're learning the importance of coming together as a global community to be able to deal with things like this pandemic, and at the same time, the importance of developing local resources uh, that we can fall back on at, at times of need and when those transportation systems and distribution systems are not there for us. So it's, it's a, it's a two-edged sword, really. It's, it's, a, it's an amazing time. It is a, it is an amazing time. You know, it's been called, I know you know this, but our listeners might not know this. It's been called the great pause. And I think what we are moving towards 
is the great reset. You know, so instead of the great recession or the great depression, it's really the opportunity for a reset in our values, in our political system, in the, in the way we do business, in the way we deal with public health. I mean, I think that that's been something that has really illuminated me, like th that our public health system needs a major overhaul. You know, we need, we need, we need to take care of each other. Exactly. And we've learned that a, a profit motivated healthcare system is not efficient at times like this. It's, 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 it is coming together. It's doing things, but it, you know, it, it makes it tough. And I love your, your, your idea of the reset. I, I, I think we all know now that we're living on a very fragile space station, the earth, and we are the navigators. Human beings are navigating the space station and we've been navigating it toward disaster. We need to reset. We need to re the navigation yes. system. Yes, <laughs> it's a reset and a reboot. Let's take that break. And when we come back, we'll continue the conversation with John Perkins. He is the author of Touching the Jaguar, Transforming Fear into Action to Change Your Life and the World. To learn more about John and his work, please visit johnperkins.org. On Twitter, at jperkinsauthor. And on Facebook, that page is John Perkins author. Here comes the pause. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Hang on. Before we take that pause, let's talk about the most important ingredients for running a successful business, great people and getting great results. If you're a boss like me and in charge of hiring for your company and using anything other than Indeed for your hiring needs, you're simply wasting your time. Indeed.com is the number one hiring site in the world and will help you find the high impact hire you need, just like they have done for more than 3 million businesses. And Indeed will help you find quality candidates instantly with Indeed's instant match. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility, delivering a quality shortlist faster. With Indeed, you only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time and there are no long-term contracts. Indeed searches through millions of resumes in their database to deliver you great candidates instantly. With Instant Match, you see a great list of candidates with zero wait time who doesn't love instant service and instant gratification. Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. visit Indeed each month, according to Comscore Total Visits. Want your quality shortlist fast? You need Indeed. Right now, our listeners get a free $75 credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash HH. This is Indeed's best offer anywhere. Get a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash HH. Indeed.com slash HH. Offer valid through March 31st. Terms and conditions apply. We'll be right back. And that's a guarantee. To learn more about cultivating sustainable well-being at home and the office, visit HarvestingHappiness.com and explore Lisa's experiential on-site brain fitness workshops, corporate programming, and speaking engagement services. And we are back. But before we rejoin the conversation, I want to mention how much I love saving money when I shop online. 
In fact, I've trained my kids to be deep discount divers. We all hate paying full price. We've all seen that promo code field that taunts us at checkout, right? But thanks to Honey, one of today's episode sponsors, manually searching for coupon codes is a thing of the past. Honey is a free browser extension that scours the internet for the best promo codes and applies the best one for the goodies that are in your shopping cart. Honey supports more than 30,000 popular online stores to make your shopping a money-saving experience. Picture this. You're shopping on one of your favorite sites. At checkout, the Honey button drops down and all you have to do is click apply coupons. Wait a few seconds as Honey hunts down the best available coupons for that site. If there's a match, Honey applies the working coupon and you'll see the price drop. Easy peasy. Honey never sells or shares data, which helps keep your information private. Now that's sweet. Honey saves me a lot of dough on purchases like 50 bucks on a pair of stylish designer boots and even everyday items like cleaning and office supplies. Honey has found it's more than 17 million members, more than $2 billion in savings. Now that's a real deal. Join me in sweetening your shopping with Honey. If you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out on free savings. It's literally free and installs in a few seconds. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting this podcast. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash harvesting. That's joinhoney.com slash harvesting. Now let's get back to it. And we are back talking about lessons in transformation. Let's return to the conversation about mindful, positive leadership with my guest, John Perkins. So John, let's send our direction to what individuals can do in this great period of reset and uncertainty and fear. What can we do on a daily basis with our decisions and our actions? Well, you know, Lisa, the book, like all my books, it's, it's, I tell a lot of stories because I think people relate to stories about various things and, uh, and they're all true stories that lead up to discussing how we need to transform a death economy to a life economy. And then that really lead up to what each individual can do to make this happen. Um, and I can go into that a little bit more detail if you like, but as one example, uh, I think during this time of the coronavirus, uh, a lot of people are sitting around saying, hey, I, I, you know, I can't deal with this another month or two months or however long it's going to go, or this self-isolation. I'm, I'm a social animal. I, I can't deal with this. And that's a, that's a big stress. That's a lot of fear. If you touch that jaguar, uh, then you really understand that suddenly it occurs to you, well, geez, I've always wanted to play, learn to play the flute. I have a flute. <laughs> and, yes. and I can go on the internet and get instructions as to how to play. Or I've always wanted to read more books. Or I've always wanted to write a book. I've, I've always I've wanted to spend more time on the phone with my relatives who, who live overseas. And there's so many things like that, that that if we touch that Jaguar and say, hey, well, yeah, self-isolating and look at all the benefits I can get out of that. That's just that's just one example of what we can do right now. It, it, from, from, a, from a total life standpoint, there's a, there's a whole little process we can go through to, to really look at what that means for each of us as individuals. And I wonder at the end of the day, if life satisfaction will increase. Well, and that's, that's, if you, I, that's the longer program. And I, I, very quickly, what I would say is, it's about 
asking ourselves the question of what do I want to do with the rest of my life? What will bring me the most satisfaction, the most joy, the most bliss? And then you ask yourself, uh, how might I turn that into something that not only gives me satisfaction, but also helps to create a better world for future generations for my children and my grandchildren? What can I do to really create a better future world? So the two can go hand in hand. And uh, then the third question is, what are the jaguars standing in my way? What's keeping me? What are the voices telling me you're not good enough? You're not educated enough. You can't do that, whatever it is. And then the fourth question, what do you have to do to touch that jaguar, to change the perception? Because all of our, our actions are based, our reason is molded by our perceptions. And then the, 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 the fifth question is, what actions do I actually take to make all of this happen? And in the book and also in a, a workshop I'm offering on April 29th, we, we, for anyone who pre-orders the book, um, we go into those in, in some depth and people can come up with a 10-minute with a practice that they can do every day or every week, once a week or whatever they feel like doing to, to really move into that idea. And it's all based on, as you said, what brings me the greatest satisfaction? What do I want to do with the rest of my life? And these steps that you're speaking of, they don't have to be particularly grand. They can be several tiny little steps, tiny little actions that create a more simplified, grounded, contented life. Exactly. I'll give you a personal example. All my life, I, I wanted to, to be a writer from the time I was quite young. And I, was, I won a short story prize and was editor of the newspaper in, my, in high school. I wanted to write. That, that, that's what brings me the greatest session. I love writing. But, and, and then, but I had this Jaguar that stood in my way, which was an English teacher in, in college, my freshman year. And even though I'd been a good writer in high school, this guy was highly critical of my writing, gave me C's. I had a tremendous respect for him. He was published. So I, I quit college. It, it really hurt me so much that I quit college and eventually I went back, but I didn't write. I went to business school. <laughs> I, studied, I studied economics instead of English, for which I'd been an English major. And wow. then, you know, and, and so how do I touch that Jaguar? Well, it took me a few years to really figure this all out, but then it struck me, well, that same English teacher didn't like Bob Dylan's writing. And Bob Dylan won the Nobel Prize in Literature. So, so I realized, well, this is just one voice. This is just one man. I'm listening to this one man's voice. It's not a true voice. I can write. I shouldn't listen to him. And yeah. then, of course, that other question yeah. is, how do I tie my writing in with, with global, with making a better world for my, my daughter and my grandson and so forth? And the answer to that is I write stories about uh, exactly what I write about. How do we transform a death economy into a life economy? How do we bring out these stories of indigenous people that have changed their reality by changing perception and, and psycho, psychotherapy that does the same thing? So, so I'd, I'd write and I'd write about these issues and I would touch that Jaguar. And then what actions do you take? Well, for a writer, you're right. Yeah. You know, I realized I got to write every day. I can't wait for inspiration. I got to write every day. I got to practice just like a pianist has to practice every single day in order to get on the concert tour. A tennis player has to practice every day in order to 
you know, play competitive tennis. A writer has to write every day or almost every day. We can take a few days off <laughs> once in a while. But so this, so those are those five steps again. That, that and, and anybody can do that. A carpenter can look at it. A carpenter can say, I want to build. I, I love carpentry. How do I do it in a way that makes a better world? I build with sustainable materials. Ah, but the, the Jaguar is that my clients don't want to pay a little bit more, which some of these materials cost. So how do you touch that Jaguar? Mm, I tell my clients that it's not a cost. It's an investment in the future for them and for their children. And what actions do I take? I go out and I do this. And you can do that whatever you are, a parent, teacher, uh, plumber, uh, <laughs> psychotherapist, yoga teacher, whatever you are. You know, podcast hosts like you. It, 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 I'm sure you went. You had to touch a lot of jaguars, Lisa, before you you took this uh, job on. Oh no, no doubt. But I, I like what you say about in, in investment. You know that because uh, Western society is very wrapped up in instant gratification and not really paying attention to the the long range plan. That when we approach our lives as uh, an investment or planting the seeds. And the return on the investment then becomes as great and as intentional as that, that, that sowing of the seeds, you know, or the fertilization of the seeds. That is the mindset that needs to change. Exactly. And, and our modern concept of investment versus cost versus taxes is a very strange one. I wish we'd get away, get, get, move away from the word tax and move into the word investment. So if we thought of, of our money that we pay in taxes, roughly a little over 50% of, of, of your tax dollar in the discretionary budget goes to the military. And, and we've discovered in this virus that the military is not going to protect us from this. this no, this, <laughs> no, they're not. What if we had invested that in better healthcare systems? Well, and I think this is one of the great revelations of how COVID-19 has struck the shores of the United States as we thought of ourselves as being, you know, the giant and being able to handle everything and realizing that part of that system is broken. And, but I want to go back to something that you said in the earlier segment about, you know, taking care of, of one another and the interconnectedness of all things, that this is something that is a, a foreign concept to, to many of us, that, you know, that, that the well-being of my brother or sister in the next state actually is important to my own well-being. Well, yeah, and I, I think we've seen that clearly, that uh, a virus that presumably start, started in China very quickly spread around the world. In this day of, of airplanes and, and transportation, immediate transportation, uh, we, we know how incredibly connected we are with all of our brothers and sisters around the world. And we also know that it's not just our human brothers and sisters. So apparently this, this virus came from a relationship with animals and a market in China yeah. and a terrible relationship where these animals were treated awful, awfully. <laughs> and, um, and, and we're very stressed out and unhappy, the animals, you know. So we're, we're learning from all of this and we're, we're also learning I, again, that, uh, that that this interconnectedness has a huge impact on whether people in Los Angeles or parts of China or many other parts of the world can see the stars at night. I have a friend who is an infectious disease doctor, and he's working in a in a major hospital on the front lines. And every morning, he sends out a missive to a group of friends with his musings or observations from the day before. 
And um, he's a former Buddhist monk. And he wrote today about the need for constraint. He said that what this is teaching us is that we must operate with some level of constraint for our survival, you know, both on a, a micro and macro level. You know, it's it's very very interesting, Lisa. That if you, that I, I should say, there's like two ends of a spectrum here of how we look at this. One is the shamanic, or let's say, the new age idea that that the Earth is a living being and it's speaking to us uh, through hurricanes and the virus and so forth. The kind of thing that I mentioned Maria Juana earlier <laughs> addressing. And then there's the other side, which is the scientific side. And they're coming together totally on yes. this now. So scientists like your friend, the doctor, and, and God bless him for, for what he's doing. I oh, can't he's, imagine. An, he's an angel. Can't imagine what they're going through. It's, it's incredible with these healthcare. My hat's off to them. I, I, I'm at this point. But, you know, they look at the world or, or scientists will look at the world and say, yeah, well, obviously, we've overstressed the planet because now that we're all taking this pause, we're seeing what a huge impact this is having on making the air cleaner. Yeah. And making the water clean and and helping us understand the, the importance of our relationship with the planet, with animals and so forth, so on and so forth. So there's both ends of the spectrum, the, the completely scientific view, let's say, the completely, so let's say, shamanic view. And then there's a whole lot in between that sort of combine these. All of them basically lead to the same conclusion that we have created a system that doesn't work, what I call a death economy, it's a self-destructive system, and we need to move into a life economy, a system that, that regenerates destroyed environments, that, that pays people to clean up pollution, that comes up with new technologies that, that are restorative and, and that are non-ravaging of the earth. We can do all of these things, and we're really learning this no matter which end of that spectrum or you know, what part in between you happen to buy into. You can see that this is what we need to do. We need to move from this failing system to one that can be very successful. And I think it comes down very simply to we adapt or we perish. It's always been the human experience, you know, yeah. and, and having... Having lived with and, and spent a lot of time with indigenous people in places like the Amazon who, who are hunters and gatherers, who live, live very natural, sustainable lives, and to realize that we all come from that. It's only been within the last couple of thousand years that we, uh, out of our 250,000 years as human beings, that we, that we, that we abandoned that approach. That yeah. we've all lived these very sustainable lives that look at the long term as well as the short term. And that's really part of the human condition. We sometimes think that the way that we've been living in the last couple of thousand years, and particularly the last few decades and the last couple of centuries, is is the way human beings are naturally built to live. But that's just absolutely not true. And a larger view of history shows you that. Your book, uh, Touching the Jaguar, Transforming Fear into Action to Change Your Life and the World, it is a timely read. You know, I, I know you didn't plan it to, to come out uh, during the middle of COVID-19, but it is a prescription for ourselves and the planet. And I thank you, John Perkins, for being with me. To learn more about John's work, please visit johnperkins.org. On Twitter, jperkinsauthor. And on Facebook, that page is John Perkins author. Come back and hang out. We should talk about your prior book, the New York Times bestseller, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, because that sounds like some good fun too, John. 
I would love to do that, Lisa. <laughs> and a lot about that, that life in the in the new book too. But yeah, thank you for all that you do. I really appreciate the work that you're doing. Uh, it's a pleasure. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll be back. Did you know that happiness is actually good for your health? Happy people live longer, are more productive, and make better partners, parents, and professionals. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. are back talking about lessons in transformation, mindful, positive leadership. My next guest is Manny Weintraub. Manny specializes in explaining investing in simple, plain English to folks who haven't seriously considered it. He's an avid meditator and a yoga enthusiast. Manny looks beyond Wall Street's conventional wisdom. During his 30-year career as a chartered financial analyst, Manny has looked after hundreds of clients and manage more than $1.5 billion. His unique approach takes the lessons of meditation and applies them to investing for retirement. And I have to say, Manny, firstly, thanks for being with me on the show today amidst COVID-19 madness. And many people are thinking, well, investing for retirement, heck, I'm just trying to invest in the next day here and manage my finances through this crisis. Yes. Yeah. It's a crazy time, but yeah, that's, that's when it's important, you know? Yeah. So talk a little bit about how yoga and meditation, or you say that you're more of a a, a meditator, how that practice got you through the financial crisis of 2008. So I have been, I started out as a meditator. Uh, when I, in my early twenties, i first time I ever meditated one is on a 10 day uh, Vipassana silent meditation retreat. I was living in Kyoto. I had very few responsibilities. I think it was a school vacation. I was teaching English at the time. And yeah, I just really dove right into the deep end there. And it was a fantastic experience. But at that time in my life, I was too much of a perfectionist. So the suggestion at the end of the retreat was just to meditate an hour in the morning and an hour at night. And that seemed very little compared to doing it, you know, all day long. But once out in the, I guess I'll call it the real world, I was only able to keep it up for a week or two. And then once I wasn't able to do it perfectly, I really just didn't want to do it at all. So I sort of started out as a meditator, then went back to New York, uh, ended up on Wall Street and was managing money in just sort of a typical way and had forgotten about meditation and maybe doing some yoga for health purposes. But the 2008 financial crisis was in the first time that it was really very emotionally painful. And I'd been through crises before and, you know, September 11th obviously was terrible and there was an Asian crisis and there's first Iraq war and and all that. But I think the market was down like 50% at one point. So I started doing Ashtanga yoga, which is in my mind almost the most meditative yoga, although I'm no 
expert because the the series is the same every time. So you're not uh, you're it's very internal and the movements are meditative in a way. And it finishes with uh, a sitting meditation. And that allowed me to understand that, you know, this was going to pass to not look at the market a hundred times a day because it didn't make a difference what I did just to establish a strategy and and also very importantly communicate that strategy uh, to my clients so we all knew uh, what we're trying to do and you know I've matured a lot it didn't have to be a perfect strategy but it was an understandable strategy and it helped (laughs) us get through it um and more importantly, get my clients through it till, you know, the next year when things started to recover. I think you uh, picked a perfect word in that being strategy. And what I'm hearing from the practice of yoga and meditation is it allowed you to have some structure, some routine and some ritual that was then applied to your external life. Yeah, and the same thing actually happened for the 10-day meditation retreat. I don't tell many people this, but I was a new teacher in Kyoto. And the first trimester, the kids, uh, I guess they were 11th or 12th graders, they walked all over me. And then the second trimester, I was you know, way too hard on them. And then the third trimester, after the meditation retreat, I was very realistic about what we could accomplish meeting once a week to learn English conversation and what we couldn't accomplish. And we started uh, playing uh, biz buzz, you know, so they could learn their numbers, started uh, doing some singing, like twist and shout, little call and response. And, And my goal was like, realistically, if I can get these people in a taxi from the airport <laughs> to the East Village where they can learn English. That's their best chance. I'm not going to be able to accomplish much here. So it was just about being more realistic and having a strategy and accepting the way things were. You know, it would have been great to teach them every day for an hour. But but that wasn't what that, was available to you. That wasn't yeah. available. Exactly. So let's let's see how this strategy applies to a couple areas, other areas of life. Um, all of us are home right now. Most of us in the United States are practicing our safe uh, distancing. We are staying in our homes. We're not really engaging physically in, in the public. Um, we're home with our children. We're home with our spouse. We're home with um, elders. In my case, we're caring for a 95-year-old. My kids are college age, and they're off in um, safe places around the country. And everybody's worried about money. Yeah. Yes. So. You know, my principles of that I've tied from meditation to investing, you know, can often apply just to money. In general, when, when I invest, I think the most important thing is to deal with the present in the sense that if when I invest, if I have an investment that's not working, like I'm losing money, uh, just accept that, uh, sell it and move on. And, you know, I don't like to be giving advice, which is probably why hopefully my advice is is worth something as opposed to I don't like to hear myself talk. But in whenever I've had financial uh, 
troubles or when I ran my own business and there were things that were not working, uh, the first step was to just deal with the problem and just uh, move forward to the best you can. So, so what I'm hearing is you're saying sort of cutting the losses, being very pragmatic. And when we're dealing in this case for so many people, it's basic needs. Even people who had decent cash flow um, are finding themselves um, in situations right now where cash flow may be a little bit tight. Um, they're having to make some adjustments with their speaking to their banks about making adjustments to their mortgage, car payments, et cetera, et cetera. But what I'm hearing from you is sort of the the getting real with it and then making changes moving forward is an important um, strategy to implement right now. Yeah, and it it might not be, and again, dealing with the reality is the reality for many people is just bad. So it's not like you can say, oh, it's actually good. You know, it's just bad. It's badness. <laughs> it's global <laughs> badness. <laughs> and and you should, you need to, and meditation is about accept, and feeling bad about that is okay. You know, it's just the, to the extent that, you have a story about staying with this certain career, or this certain field, because that's what you've always done, or, you know, your work colleagues are counting on you or this, you know, I, that's where you need to get a little more Neanderthal and say, okay, that maybe that was the story, but maybe the new story is I need to get involved with a different field that's less volatile or maybe even a different geographic area. You know, it's all very big decisions, but I've always felt better uh, coming up with a plan, even if it was an imperfect plan and then just executing. So the concept of, you know, making a decision and taking the action. And even if we choose not to make a decision, that we are making a choice in that and in action and accepting that, you know, sort of the stewing yes. in one's juices. Oh my gosh, we're out of money. The sky is falling. This is, this is, you know, global badness. We're never going to recover. That's just, that is story. That's not true. Right. And also, and again, you know, where meditation is very helpful uh, in real life and in investing life is I should have done this. I should have done that. It's well, it, you don't have a functioning time machine. Uh, there's not really any point in worrying over much about it. It's not useful getting in a, in a feedback loop of negativity. It's okay to be annoyed and upset and just accept that you're annoyed and upset, but you know, you got to move forward. Well, and and that, that letting go of the releasing attachment to that outcome and moving, moving forward is a benefit of a meditation practice. And I think that um, a lot of the listeners might find that hard to swallow because we are um, so used to reacting and responding to crises when they occur. And what happens when we accept that the crisis is here and we can't do much about what has happened, but we can sure do a whole lot about what happens next. Yeah. And I, for me, the, the idea of a meditation practice that I think is really important, as I mentioned earlier, that I started with, you know, one of the best possible meditation practice, you know, elite training one can have. In, yes. Know, just, but what really changed my 
life was the pr proliferation of these meditation apps. And I found that, you know, I really, 21-year-old me would really have looked down on an eight-minute guided meditation or a 10-minute guided meditation. It's like, I don't need that. I can do, you know, three hours straight, you know, body <laughs> scanning. Yes. But I've learned that any kind of meditation practice is better than no meditation practice. I mean, and that's my first rule. It's like if the best investment to make is in a meditation practice. And if you're, you're hurting a lot of the meditation apps are offering free daily free meditation, uh, I think maybe at three o'clock, 10% happier does a live meditation, or you could go, you know, online and find things on YouTube or things like that. But it's just, and I love the name 10% happier. It's, it's so not going to make your life perfect. It'll just make it a little better. Well, when we talk about the, the word happiness and the meaning, I mean, although our show is called Harvesting Happiness, mm -hmm. the word happiness is a little bit annoying. You know, we're really talking about finding some level of contentment, peace, and the ability to flourish and uh, lead a life of meaning. Yeah. And I, and maybe this uh, crisis can help bring into perspective, you know, what is meaningful, what's important um, for sure. You know, I know we're all much more grateful to the, uh, any of the staff in hospitals from, you know, uh, the least paid to the, the, you know, the most specialized doctors, you know, they're all doing a great job or even uh, supermarket clerks, you know, it's, uh, I'm hoping this is the beginning of, uh, appreciating, uh, finding new ways to be happy or appreciating what's meaningful. We're going to take a break. And I also want to give a shout out to the truckers of America, because I think they are also unsung heroes in this crisis. The supply chain has been challenging you know, finding toilet paper still is yeah. still is a big a big challenge for many of us across the country. But right. these men and women are moving across America um, at some risk to right. deliver goods so the rest of us can remain in our homes and be safe. So let's take the break. Uh, we're going to return to the conversation with Manny Weintraub. We're talking about yoga and money, a holistic relationship with the mighty dollar. To connect with Manny, please do so at Manny Weintraub on Twitter. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? Whether you are a skeptic or seeker, check out Lisa's new book. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, a boot camp manual for greater emotional fitness, is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Here's a truth bomb. Emotions are contagious, and happiness is a universally desired state. But we tend to forget that we all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstances. Explore the journey of human happiness, how to find it and keep it, with Lisa's documentary film, H-Factor. Where is your heart? Visit HarvestingHappiness.com to learn more.
we're back continuing the conversation with my guest today, Manny Weintraub. We're talking about lessons in transformation, mindful, positive leadership. Let's rejoin the conversation. And Manny, I think for me, tell me how this is for you. When I sort of view my present conditions, and there is some fear or concern about tomorrow, but when I look at like, I'm in this with the whole world, I am not alone. This isn't forever. This is all temporary. We will rebound. We will recover. And I I go to, well, what can I learn from this? How can I do better? If the question is, what am I learning from this? Like, what's your approach? Like, what's your feeling? Like, that's kind of what I'm the mindset I'm in. But I'm interested to know, you know, where you're coming from with this. So just my nature is I've been worried for the past 30 years. I've been working on Wall Street. I literally started like one year after the 1987 crash. And then we went right into a real estate crisis, the SNL crisis Uh that some of us, some of us might remember. And then there was the first Iraq war. So I'm always waiting for bad news. So I can't say I've learned anything from this particular crisis. I mean, I, to a certain extent during the financial crisis, I, not to a certain extent, to a very real extent during the financial crisis, which is the last thing of this sort of magnitude, I had to like sleep uh, on the floor in a sleeping bag, you know, so I wouldn't disturb my wife. I was tossing and turning so much. And with this crisis, I just feel that there, I've been waiting for a crisis for, for so long that I didn't, I'm, I didn't really learn anything from this. So that's maybe that's a bad answer, but it, no, it's just it's no bad you know, answer. But you live yeah. in a state of anticipatory angst then. You're waiting uh, well, for the other shoe to drop. <laughs> in, in a way, but uh, so like for me, if I had a, an animal that really represented me, it would be the uh, push me, pull you from Dr. Doolittle. So whenever people are optimistic, I'm looking for things to go wrong and what might not go right. And, and conversely, now that things are bad, I'm like, well, you know, where could things, uh, go well, you know, I'm, I'm literally the type of person who's like, huh, on the plus side, if there was a bio weapon, uh, released in, in five years, I bet we'll be much more prepared for it than we are this time where it's not a, a weaponized, uh, Thing. So I'm, I'm kind of, sometimes I call myself an optimist for hire because I work in the, the money management business. So like if there is, uh, if there's a wide, a bunch of pessimism and there are opportunities for my clients and I'm like, huh, maybe, maybe this makes sense. So that's, so we're, I guess we're in the optimism for hire phase of the crisis. And this brings me to the opportunities that exist while we're in the midst of this extraordinary period of time. You know, there may not be a lot of money to invest when people are hunkering down and conserving, you know, just to get by. But there are some opportunities. Um, there are ways that we can take a little bit of money and perhaps capitalize on the marketplace. And I'm thinking of like the fractional investment sites where you can, you know, say you've got an extra $25 that you can invest in something that is of interest to you. Talk a little bit about that. Sure. So it, 
the way I like to find uh, investments that could work for an individual investor, for a taxable investor, is to find companies that are benefiting from a long-term trend. So I, I don't have the personality or strategy where I would try and benefit, help people make money from this crisis by investing in companies that are really being hurt by it. So I would not buy airlines. I would not buy hotels. Um, I mean, these are companies where there could be balance sheet issues. And the, yes, there will always be hotels and there will always be um, airlines. But in a bankruptcy, restructuring equity holders don't do too well. The company can still exist, but the shareholders don't benefit. So in general, I'm looking for companies that were doing well before this with certain uh, trends and ones that might continue. To, and those are the ones that are more most likely to be doing well with the same trends after this. I'm not really allowed to mention individual of course not. names, but I do think gold is a very interesting uh, place to be investing part of one's money now. If one thinks about $2 trillion uh, spent very quickly, which I think was appropriate uh, on our national debt of $23 trillion. We just increased that by 10%. There could be more to come. And gold is not, has not rocketed higher. It hasn't gone down, so we're not taking advantage of it going down, but in an ideal, I think for most individual investors, you're to benefit from a long-term trend. You should invest in a stock that is doing well in the medium term, like a medium term trend can turn into a long term. And, and that makes sense. And even if you don't have a lot, I mean, I just I, a lot of people don't know that there are sites you can go to and put in a tiny little bit of money and kind of experiment, you know, be a researcher and see how these stocks perform. Yes. And there's, and the gold is a stock. It doesn't have to be just the um, physical metal. Yeah. So GLD yeah. is how you would find uh, an investment that tracks the price of gold. I think also that there are a lot of resources on these sites. Like they all want you to succeed and are happy to provide all sorts of, they're called screening tools, but they're basically ways of finding stocks that have certain characteristics, like not too much debt, not too much, um, not a huge decline in earnings, you know, forecasted for the coming year, like airlines and hotels. Yeah. So that, that can be a lot of fun, uh, too. And it can be, profitable over time. And without giving a plug to the company, because I don't actually remember the company's name, but I'm, I'm thinking of that digital thermometer uh, company that uh, where everything, all of the temperatures across uh, the owners of this device is shared. And it's one way of tracking clusters of fevers and thus mm -hmm. illness across the country. To me, that seems a little exciting. Yes. And I guess one thing that's really important to understand about, you know, the yoga of money is that 
sometimes boring companies can be really exciting too. Because yeah. if you can make 6% a year over, I don't know, 10, no, 12, 12 years, you will double your money. Like it seems that nothing is happening and it's happening slowly and it's happening with a lot of volatility. But doubling your money is pretty powerful. And also, if you do it through a boring stock, then um, you're unlikely to really need to sell it. Like, you know, my from uh, my mouth to God's ears, you should buy something that doubles tomorrow. Uh, but if you do, then you kind of need to sell it. I don't know. Like, you yeah, because it's volatile. It. Yeah, it's volatile. It could go down 50% yeah. the day after tomorrow. So it's not so efficient from a tax point of view. It's it's not so. So there's a lot to be said for getting rich uh, slowly. And in terms of changing one's mindset, uh, if you can take a a mellow mindset where you're like, I'm going to focus long term and um, but also care about the difference between making two percent and six percent. That can be very powerful. So like I'm I think of myself as a kind of mellow person. And when I before I had knew the math, like if I made had one hundred dollars and it made six dollars or it made two dollars, like, yeah. Who really cares? Like, is that big a difference? But over time, it's a big difference. Yeah, it's yeah. a very big difference. But speaking of time, we're nearly out of it. Yeah. Bummer. Yeah. Bummer. But I wanted to just, um, you have a statement that you make that I would love to share with our listeners because you say there were no good old days. It was just the present in the past. And I, I, I find this just, it makes me chuckle. And it's like, true that, you know? <laughs> Yeah, no, I think if people are looking for the right time to start investing and because now is not a good time and it was a good time and they missed a good time and now it's a bad time, my feeling is that, you know, growing up in the 70s, it, I guess it was a good time to invest, but also didn't feel very good. Like we were waiting for, uh, nuclear bombs to fall on us. And, you know, I was mugged constantly on the Upper West Side. And on the other hand, it was great. I mean, you know, we made brownies and I made garlic bread for the first time. So like things, were, you know, it was all good. <laughs> and it was all bad. Nothing was great. And like, you know, right now we're living in what seems like a pretty bad time. But, you know, some people are going to romanticize this in 20 years, uh, as hard as it is to believe. So now is a good. Now is the only time to start investing because now is the only time. Oh, I I agree, and the only guarantee is now. Mm, true. To learn more about Manny or to connect with him, please do so at Manny Weintraub on Twitter. Thank you, Manny. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress Kamen and my guest John Perkins and Manny Weintraub, wishing you kind thoughts kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. And remember to stay safe. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. 
Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes via our free app or from our libraries at toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, and other fine podcast platforms. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit harvestinghappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced in collaboration with TogiNet Radio, KBUURadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.